Here we are in our second week of our series, God's Politics, Healing the Heart of Democracy. It's pretty ambitious, isn't it? Healing the Heart of Democracy. In this season of elections and debates and campaigns, we sometimes fight over what it means to be American. What does it mean to be American? But we share a common history, a common story. We share the American dream. What is the American dream? Who wants to explain what the American dream is? You all know it. Even you who are not American citizens know the American dream, right? What is the American dream? Equal opportunity for everybody. Equal opportunity for everybody. With a lot of prosperity. With a lot of prosperity, right. Anybody can... Work hard and achieve greatness. Wealth. Work, Work hard, achieve greatness, wealth, anything. And... Happy, happy, happy. Happy, happy, happy. And where do you live in the American dream? I don't like In a house with a white picket fence. Yes. <laughs> but you didn't start out in that house with a white picket fence. You didn't have anything. And then you arrived at the house with a white picket fence, right? Anyone can make it in the American dream. It doesn't matter where you come from, you can achieve anything. It's a beautiful dream, isn't it? But is it true? For some. We as a nation have striven to make it true, right? We have the women's rights movement. We have the civil rights movement. We have the workers' rights movement because we believe that anybody should be able to make it. We have this ideal that anybody can make it, and when there's things that stand in the way of people making it, we are motivated to change. We are Americans. No matter what your political persuasion, no matter what your party, for your perspective, as an American, we want to believe in the American dream. We want our country to be the land of opportunity. Right? Even when we have questions about that, we want it to be true. But the other side of that coin is the legacy of the Puritans who were amongst the first influencers of the culture here in this country. And they believed that hard work was a moral obligation. And the message that we still carry from them is that if you aren't able to make something from nothing through hard work, then there must be something wrong with you. Because it is sinful to be lazy, and it is sinful to not achieve something through hard work. We, that is the legacy that we have inherited. And we dismiss the idea that we place a low value 
on some work, and we pay a low wage for that work. Because this is the American dream, and because this is our legacy, we see the world in a certain way. We are influenced in ways that we don't even understand. I've been listening to the book The Working Poor, Invisible in America by David Schiffler, which I would highly recommend. And he interviews a lot of working poor, and he interviews a lot of people who work with them. And one of those interviews was with a very successful small business owner who articulates what we have all been taught. You certainly don't want to pay someone in shipping or a tedious manual job a huge salary. It's almost not fair to someone who went to college, studied to, to make something of their lives. Those people should be rewarded. They should be making a better, better salaries than the person that dropped out of high school. I mean, that doesn't make sense. Because then, in fact, no one's going to go to college. That's like the way it works. You go to school, you get a good education, and you to get a better paying job. That's the way it works, right? That's almost always the way it works. We take for granted that's the way it works because it's worked that way for so long. It's always worked that way, or so it seems. So there's a different story that kind of is the counter to that perspective, and it's a story that Jesus tells and is recorded in the Gospel of Matthew, and it's the story of the workers in the vineyard and the generous land So I invite you to listen as we hear from several voices this story of Jesus in the 20th chapter. The kingdom of heaven is like a wealthy landowner who got up early in the morning and went out first thing to hire workers and to tend his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a day's wage for the day's work. The workers headed to the vineyard while the landowner headed home to deal with some paperwork. About three hours later, he went back to the marketplace. He saw some unemployed men standing around with nothing to do. Do you need some work? Go over to my vineyard and join the crew there. I'll pay you well. So off they went to join the crew at the vineyard. About three hours later, and then three hours after that, the landowner went back to the market and saw another crew of people and hired them too, sending them off to his vineyard and promising to pay them well. Then finally, late in the afternoon, at the cusp of night, the landowner, landowner walked again through the marketplace, and he saw other workers still standing around. Why have you been standing here all day, doing nothing? Because no one has hired us. Well, you should go over to my vineyard and work. And off the workers went. When quitting time arrived, the landowner called to his foreman. Pay the workers their fair day's wages beginning with the workers I hired most recently, and ending with the workers who have been here all day. 
So the workers who had been hired just a short while before came to the foreman and paid them each a day's wage. Then other workers who had arrived during the day were paid, each of them a day's wage. Finally, the workers who had been toiling since early morning came, thinking they could pay more, but the foreman paid each of them a day's wage. As they received their pay, this last group of workers began to protest. We've been here since the crack of dawn, and they're paying us the exact same wage and pay the crew that just showed up. We deserve more than they do. We've been slogging in the heat of day. These others haven't worked nearly as long as we have. The landowner heard these protests. Friend, no one has been wrong here today. This isn't about what you deserve. You agreed to work for a day's wage, did you not? So take your money and go home. I can give my money to whomever I please, and it pleases me to pay everyone the same amount of money. Do you think I don't have the right to dispose of my monies as I wish? Or does my generosity somehow hurt you? And that is your picture. The last will be first, and the first will be last. An interesting story. God's economy is different than our economy. In God's economy, everyone gets a living wage. They're each paid enough to live on for one day. Not more, not less. Enough to live on for one day. No matter how hard they work, people are given enough to live. No one is given a higher wage, and that makes people angry because they have worked harder and they deserve more. But Jesus paints this picture of the kingdom of God where a wealthy landowner pays everyone the same amount. Not too much, not too little, just enough to live on. If this story doesn't make you question your capitalist values, then I don't know what will. And if it doesn't make you wonder what Christian values are, then you haven't been listening. We live in a democracy. And we live in a capitalist society. You probably have heard what Winston Churchill says about democracy. He said, no one pretends that democracy is perfect or all wise. Indeed, it has been said that democracy is the worst form of government, except all those other forms that have been tried from time to time. And David, David Shipler, the author of The Working Poor, <coughs> writes, the same could be said about capitalism. It is the worst, except all the others. It has a ruthlessness about it, a cold, competitive spirit that promotes the survival of the fittest and the suffering of the weak. But it also op opens opportunity unparalleled by communism and socialism or any other variants so far attempted. The American ideal embraces an equality of opportunity for every person, 
but not an equality of results. In fact, free enterprise thrives on difference. The difference between the owner and the worker, the educated and the less educated, the skilled and the less skilled, the adventurous and the timid, and ultimately, the rich and the poor. Have you heard that there is an income gap in the United States? There are enlargening gaps, right? The wealthy are getting wealthier and the poor are getting poorer. You might have heard of the 1%, maybe. And the truth is that there is income inequality and there is wealth inequality. The top 1% of households make one point $64 trillion. The bottom 20% households make $55, billion altogether, all 20% of our society. And the next 20 makes $1.2 trillion. And put together, the 40% the 40 at the bottom makes $1.58 trillion, which is less than the 1% makes. And if that isn't shocking to you, do you know that some people have savings accounts? <laughs> do you know that some people have stock options? Do you know that some people have lots of money in offshore bank accounts? Some people do. And that means that they have money to pay bills when they come. They don't have to pay their bills late because they actually don't have the money on the day that the bills are due because they don't get paid on that day. And so when you have wealth, like the top 1%, you can do a lot of things. And when you don't have any wealth, like the bottom 40% that holds together, all in all, 249 billion, Opportunities are closed. The truth is that nowhere in the U.S. can a minimum wage worker afford an apartment at full market value. Nowhere in the U.S. can a minimum wage worker afford a, an apartment at full fair market value. So just so you know, in Maine, if you work at minimum wage, you could afford an apartment at full fair market value if you work 71 hours a week. Not 40, but 71 hours a week. Do you know many jobs that offer you that many hours? Or... There are places you can live for cheaper, and there are places you could live for more expensive. But not, it's not sustainable anywhere. Also, if minimum wage was $16.71 in Maine, 
then, and you worked 40 hours a week, then you could afford an apartment, a two-bedroom apartment. So how much is the minimum wage proposal on the ballot this year? Well, fairly far from 60. So we could say there's something wrong in our housing. We could say there's not enough low-income housing. We could say our market is off. We could also say that it's ridiculous that our minimum wage has nothing to do with a living wage. As if minimum wage and living wage don't mean the same thing at all, then why do we even bother to have them? Poverty keeps people from achieving the American dream. It leaves people in a place where it's nearly impossible in our economic and political system to get ahead. Poverty is cyclical. One bad choice or tragedy could meet, lead many of us to a precarious place, financially. But a series of difficult circumstances are nearly impossible to overcome. David Schiffler says it this way, a rundown apartment can exacerbate a child's asthma, which leads to a call for an ambulance, which generates a medical bill that cannot be paid, which ruins the credit record, which hikes the interest rate on an auto loan, which forces the purchase of an unreliable used car, which jeopardizes a mother's punctuality at work, which limits her promotions and earning capacity, which confines the family to poor housing. It's a cycle. On this side of the Great Recession, the Great Recession that was caused by greed and hoarding and abuses by our financial system, we should be looking for another way. We should be motivated to look for another way. We should be creating a politics and an economy where everyone is valued instead of taken advantage of. Jim Wallace, in his book, God's Politics, includes a paraphrase of Amos, the prophet Amos from the Old Testament, which reads this way. Hear this, you that trample on the poor and take from them their jobs and retirement funds. You say, when will the Sabbath be over so we can make a small measure and payment and the payment great, and practice deceit with false accounting. Therefore, you who afflict the righteous, who take a bribe, who push aside the needy, you have built huge estates of hewn stone, but you shall not live in them. You have your stock options, but you shall not cash them in. For I know how many are your transgressions, and how great are your sins. You who afflict the righteous, 
who take a bribe and push aside the needy at the gate. This is the message of many a Hebrew Bible prophet. Micah says the same, Jeremiah and Isaiah, they all say the same thing. Woe to you who steal from the poor to give to the rich. It is quite a distinct way of looking at sin from the American myth that hard work will get you everything you want, and if you aren't successful, it's because you're lazy and sinful. And according to David Shipler and his many interviews, this idea of being lazy and sinful is one that people have come to believe about themselves. People who live in poverty many times don't blame the system. They blame themselves for being lazy. People who work 40 hours a week at a hard, labor-intensive job use the word lazy to describe themselves because they haven't found a way to get out of that cycle. It's wrong to call that sin in any form. We need a way forward. We need a different way of being. We need a different way of working together and a different way of thinking about what is right and just and fair. Jim Wallace proposes a new way. He says, here is the road for a new moral economy. From massive inequality to to decent equity. From the narrow definition of shareholders to a broad definition of vision of stakeholders. From short-term to long-term thinking and acting. From the ethics of endless growth to the ethics of sustainability. From doing well to also doing good. From broken social contracts to a new social covenant between citizens, business, and government. And that is the new road we now need to travel. We need to travel this road together. We need to make a way forward as a community, as a federation of states, as a country. We have an opportunity that only comes up every so often, and it's happening in November. It's an important opportunity, and it's a privilege that we shouldn't take for granted. We also have an opportunity every day to make choices for compassion and for goodness. And we have an opportunity to open ourselves to others, to the stranger, to the worker, to let our heart be broken by that which breaks the heart of God. 
weeks ago as I was leaving worship, I was listening to the radio. And that is the time that the Prairie Home Companion used to be on, and it was the Minnesota show with Garrison Keillor. Special, since he's done. But there was a song that he and Heather Massey, who is a good Mainer, were singing. And it's a song by Ann Reed. And it's called This Tired Old World. And I was compelled by these words and this message. And so we're going to sing it today with the help of Martin and Carolyn. But listen first, because you don't want to miss this. If my heart fails to break at the sight of incredible pain, then this tired old world, this crazy time, is having its way. If my mind understands every ruthless and poisonous act, then this tired old world, this crazy time, is having its way. There's some people fighting their way through this world all alone. To care for their families, they made our country their own. If I punish the farmhand, the maid who cleans the hotel, I've lost my compassion and mercy as well as myself. So let us not lose our compassion and mercy or ourselves, but let's work for the vision of God's economy where everyone has enough. Enough. 